Today's episode is brought to you by Vortex Optics, who we are very proud to carry in our stores and online at shields.com. We value this partnership so much that we've combined forces to create a couple of Shields exclusive Vortex products, which are the Nomad binoculars and the Rage series of binoculars and rifle scopes. We have them linked in the description of this podcast, so make sure to go and check those out. Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and today we're going to be talking optics. With me is Ruben Alexson, the dealer, trainer, and customer experience manager from Vortex Optics. We're going to be talking about some new products, some Shields exclusive products, and some in-field applications for them. Ruben, how are you doing today? Doing well, Mike. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for joining. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got in with Vortex? Absolutely. Um, so uh, here at Vortex, like you like you mentioned, um, I work in our dealer sales department and primarily work with our retailers out in the field on things like product knowledge. Um, anytime a new product is launched, we work on integrating that into the store. We work on uh, associate training to uh, make sure that all the, the correct information is getting passed on to the end customer. And um, we also do uh, a lot of stuff with customer interaction out in the field at places like trade shows or uh, hunting events, uh, stuff like that. So my background would be, um, I grew up in central Minnesota, born and raised, and uh, you know, kind of grew up in, in the outdoor industry, I guess you would say. Um, my dad uh, owned a company with uh, our family that built uh, ice fishing houses and uh, also had a sporting goods store that we owned and operated for a while as well as a fishing guide service. So uh, as far as a, an upbringing, I, I really couldn't have asked for a better one. Uh, and that kind of carried on uh, into into my, my life now uh, and kind of molded me into who I am. So uh, as of Getting, getting in with Vortex, um, my first exposure was actually as a, as a Shields employee um, when Vortex was starting to get carried in the stores. Uh, and so at the time, there was a, a huge boom in the, uh, in the market and optics companies were, were expanding uh, really rapidly. And, you know, some new companies were coming onto the scene and what we were selling in the store, you know, one of the new things was Vortex at the time. And so through that, uh, through selling the product and becoming knowledgeable about it, I was able to integrate that into kind of my, my competitive shooting uh, side of things. That's uh, something that uh, I've done for about the last 11 years is, uh, you know, what, what I would describe as action shooting. So not, not like traditional trap and skeet, things like that. It would be more on the side of like USPSA action pistol, um, three gun, uh, tactical shotgun matches. And so I integrated uh, a lot of Vortex product into that and those relationships uh, with 
uh, Vortex as a, as a Vortex shooter. And then of course, having that relationship selling the product uh, really ultimately brought me down here to South Central uh, Wisconsin and uh, into my dream job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like you found a job that's just right in your wheelhouse. So, I mean, Vortex is, they put out a lot of cool stuff, especially on like the media side of things. I mean, obviously cool products, but um, you know, what's it like working for Vortex? The culture is really cool. Um, I think there's, there's actually a lot of comparisons between a company like Shields and a company like Vortex uh, in that we're, we're family owned. We have uh, very strong values. Um, uh, I think the, the thing for us is that it's really, it's about people. And so you, you mentioned like cool products. I think that's kind of, you know, that's kind of a must right now is that your products have to be able to do what the customers need them to do. But the place where you really can, because we can't control the products that other companies come out with, but we, what we can control is how we take care of our customers and how we interact with them and develop relationships with all customers at all levels, whether it be a, a retailer or whether it be the person, you know, taking that, that rifle scope out, out on an elk hunt. Like, uh, I think for us and, and for the way we view it is that without our customers and without people that, you know, the products really don't matter. So for us, looking at the customer as, you know, being, being the core focus of our business, um, it really makes a great work environment because you're not measuring success based on, you know, the number of products you sell or, you know, of course, things like that are important. But really, at the end of the day, the most important thing is that the customer feels valued and that you're conducting business in a, in a good manner and um, really kind of following following the golden rules. I mean, not to oversimplify it, but be good to people and um, and, you know, develop those relationships is is what makes working here so i would say so easy and seamless is because um i i walk through the building and i get the opportunity to take a lot of tours uh whether it be a dealer or whether it be an end user uh going through the building um the, the smiling faces through the building just really let you know that uh the way that the company is run is is top notch and uh i i give ultimate props to our leadership here for for creating that environment Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you really hit the nail on the head there with like thinking the customer first. And I'd say that's why, you know, the partnership between Shields and Vortex works so well is, you know, it's about the customer. We got to, you know, we got to make sure they're equipped to be, you know, successful and have a good time out in the field. And, you know, that, that kind of brings us into uh, like our, our, our partnership as far as a couple of exclusive products. So we have the we have the rage series of uh, binoculars and, and rifle scopes. So would you mind touching on those shields exclusive products a little bit and how that kind of came to be? Yeah, there's uh, there are a couple of really cool uh, examples of that partnership. Like you said, um, I would look at the, the rage five to 20 by 50 rifle scope uh, as well as the uh, rage binoculars. And it, I think it's, it's cool because there are similar products in the Vortex line that might not have, you know, the exact same features, but through feedback from, from Shields associates out on the floor, talking to customers, because really I can say our customers, I can see your customers, but at the end of the day, they're all of our customers. And so from feedback coming from the associates, 
we're able to make tweaks to products that give the customer exactly what they're looking for. And I would look at like that Rage series of rifle scopes as being one that um, the product experts at Shields had specific things in mind that they wanted to see, whether it be the magnification range or the reticle choice or how the how the turrets are laid out. Um, that's a huge, uh, huge, I guess, indicator for us at how how much we value that relationship and that we're able to give you guys exactly the product that your customers are asking for. Um, and it's also a good indicator that there's a lot of feedback coming back through the through the channels of what what um, you know what customers are asking. So if, so if props to to Shields for for listening to what the customer is looking for. Um, and, it, and it also it speaks a lot to a specific price point that you know that person is looking to to buy. I think there's a huge portion of the market right now that while they're they might be newer to shooting, they're also kind of of that philosophy that. I like to call it like a buy once, cry once philosophy where I, I'm going to go in if I'm going to do this. Like people, I think in our generation are very much like if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. And so there's definitely uh, that price point that those Rage products fall into are are definitely at a, a point where the person's not looking just to buy an entry level product. They're looking to get uh, more quality for what they're what they're spending. And so they spend a little bit more, um, but it's not something they're going to need to replace anytime soon. It's definitely a product that could take them through anything that they would intend to use it for. And then we also do have um, the Nomad series of binoculars, which is actually uh, a mid mid premium tier uh, HD optical system. And, and it's got a few features that were specifically requested um, by the sales associates. And so those are, those are three products, really two binoculars and one rifle scope that um, that speak to that relationship between uh, between Vortex and Shields and and how how that clear communication channel is 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 happening and I think that's really important because like I mentioned before you know we would we get the product to you guys and then you guys distribute it out to your customers but be because that there there it's not it's not that direct to customer business model if that communication channel breaks down between shields and, and vortex we're not hearing what customers are asking for so i think that's a really cool indicator that not only your associates are listening to customer but that you guys have a relationship with a vendor with a product manufacturer that is at the end of the day putting what customers are asking for on your shelves mm -hmm. yeah when i think about those shields exclusive products i mean the the two things that come to mind are really you know no pun intended bang for your buck Mm -hmm. And just the the amount of feedback given into those, because like you have people giving feedback on your end, people people giving feedback on our end. You guys are out there hunting, shooting with it. We're doing the same, and it's just it's a lot of stuff packed into something that you know really isn't gonna break your bank. Yeah, yeah, and you know there's a lot of people, spe you know, specifically, but I think in general there is a really cool like very clear communication channel between a lot of sales associates and, and Vortex, whether it be between myself or guys that are on our team here, um, sales associates and reps. And um, that, that communication channel is clear and it's, it's very exciting for us to be partnered with a company that listens to their customers like, like we hope that we do too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. So I'm curious to hear about some of these new products that you've uh, 
that you've recently come out with. Uh, what do you what do you got for us? Well, this year uh, was a big year in terms of I think kind of turning a page in terms of technologies that we integrate into our products. And so, uh, one of the first big products that we we came out with was our Fury A B series of range finding binoculars. And the reason why I think they're they're special, but they're also kind of in a class of their own is because for us, we've never done a product that has integrated ballistic uh, solver on board. And so for for those that maybe don't know or aren't, aren't super familiar with that, in long range shooting, there is kind of this, this challenge that we're presented with, which is as we shoot beyond the distance that our rifle is zeroed at, um, we now have to compensate for atmospheric conditions, for gravity pulling the bullet, uh, for for atmospheric slowing the bullet down the further away it gets. And so through, you know, without just having to do the guess and check method and make a data book, we can actually use a an algorithm. And, and I'm not going to say we're, we're not the first company out there to integrate that type of thing into a product. But for us, it's the first time we've done it. And so we partnered with Applied Ballistics um integrating their elite ballistic solver which will run uh, a series of algorithms to determine the the predicted drop uh, and predicted wind drift of a bullet uh as it flies through different atmospheres and, and so by taking a, a our most powerful range finding binocular which is our fury 5000 and integrating ab elite onto that unit we're able to put a product in the customer's hands that now it doesn't require them to take other devices into the field. Once they input their uh, their data, so the information about their rifle, like like is the scope MOA or MRAD, you know, what twist rate is the barrel and what what direction is the twist, um, you know, the height over bore of the optic to the barrel, and then integrating things like um, you know, within within their bullet, what bullet are they shooting? What is the velocity of the bullet that they're shooting? Um, it really allows the the customer, the end user, to get um, one like one product. Sorry about this, having some background noise, but it gives one product that lets the customer shoot their solution in the field. So by taking the rangefinder and ranging that whether it be a target a game animal and then taking the data that comes through the ballistic solver um, they can now have their firing solution so they know their uh their dope per se or their data for that shot their holdover and the fury also integrates a really cool um wind bearing capture mode that allows you to capture the direction that the wind is coming from and then apply that to the direction that your target is in. And uh, through estimation of, of wind value, um, you're able to get a very good uh, wind call. If you can accurately call the wind direction and, and the value of the wind, you can now integrate wind into your ballistic solution. So for us, that's a really cool product because we've always had to go out of house to get uh, a ballistic solver, right? Um, whether that be through the use of really cool devices like uh, a Kestrel or through uh, an app that maybe has a ballistic solver on board, we we would always have to kind of leave our suite of products. And now that we have a product that has that integrated into it, when we're doing a training, whether it be with 
a dealer group, a military or law enforcement group, or here at Vortex, uh, we have our shooting facility, which is called Vortex Edge. We're able to now inter introduce the customer to a product that we actually manufacture that does that work for them. So that's that's an exciting thing for us. I think at Vortex, we're we're really uh, we're we're pumped to have that technology and to have a relationship with a company like uh, like Applied Ballistics to to have that product all under one roof. Uh, and and we uh, we also you know this year released um, some some really cool upgraded product um, our Spitfire series of prism optics which uh, a lot of times would be an optic that you would find on you know on an AR platform or something you know whatever you want to call it the modern sporting rifle um, the Spitfire series of of prism scopes are actually a fixed power optic a three power and a five power that they pack a lot of punch because they have a very, very compact size. They're only a couple, you know, a couple of inches tall and, and really only about a few inches long, but they mount uh, in an integrated mounting system and they provide you with a ton of capabilities for, for that, that platform at a really great price. Uh, and another new technology for us this year was integrating solar into, uh, into a rifle sighting system. So our spark solar, uh, Red Dot came out this year as well. Um, that's an optic that is, again, not not industry changing in the fact that it's the first solar optic um, or solar powered Red Dot on the market because it's not. But for us, it was our first foray into integrating solar power into an optical system. And so, taking very efficient systems like uh, like a Spark. Uh, AR Red Dot, which can have anywhere from 30 to 50,000 hours of runtime, which if you do the math, it's, it's a lot of trips to the range. Uh, and by using a solar assisted system like the Spark Solar, we can up, upgrade that, um, that ultimate runtime to around 150,000 hours. So for the person who's looking for, you know, mounting a Red Dot onto their, you know, home defense rifle, uh, or onto a everyday carry setup that they might keep in their truck with them, all the way to professional duty uh, use of, of that type of optic. Spark Solar is really a, a very cool foray for us into that world. And it's a, it's a, we feel like we, we put our best foot forward on that. So those are some exciting things. Um, and if you're uh, you know, into whether it be long range shooting or glassing, uh, for this year, our new tripod lineup uh, is something we're really excited about too. So we came out with uh, three really uh, what we feel are uh, excellent options in the carbon tripod uh, side of the, the that market and also a really good aluminum option as well. So 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 four new tripods for us, which is was something that we're we're really pumped about too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of cool new products. And you know, for for the person thinking like should I spend a little bit extra money on my optics? Like just take that fury, for example, like all the, all the stuff you talked about, all the mathematics and, you know, just it's one press of a button and all that is right at your fingertips. It's just absolutely wild to think about. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited personally about those new tripods, like, cause I do a lot of, not a lot, but, I, but I love hunting out West, especially like, mule deer in the badlands and you want your pack to be as light as possible and efficient and yeah those those new tripods are looking pretty sweet there i think what's cool about 
you know, especially as product progresses and as technology improves, like just going back to the Fury, it's it's a product that I think when you look at the price, you might first be a little bit like, well, what, well, is it worth that extra money, right? But when you start looking at now that product is your binocular, it's your ballistic solver, and it's all in one. And when you start to take the individual prices of something um, that does, you know, weather and a ballistic solution in it, and you then you start to look at a pair of binoculars, right? And then you start to look at a rangefinder. You're you're getting up to that two thousand plus dollar value to get high quality products in each of those. You know, as a package, you would be well over two thousand dollars and now all of a sudden when you look at it that way the fury is actually kind of a bargain when you look at all the things that you get included with it uh as opposed to just a, just a binocular now it's a binocular it's your rangefinder, and it's your ballistic solver and you could look at it as your mobile weather station too because atmospherics play a huge part of that too so and then on the tripods i think you know when you start to speak to that we'll call it the western hunter or the western hunting style um I'm not, I'm not the biggest enthusiast in that area. I guess it's something that I'm getting into more and more and I've done a fair amount of it, but I won't call myself an expert in that area. But what I do know about that realm is that anytime we start to incorporate things like weight or how much room do I have in my pack, you really, you can look at products as needing to be more and more versatile or having more than one use. And I think when you look at the new tripods, they all come with an Arca Swiss attachment method. So all of our new tripod heads use the same attachment method. And you can really easily take an Arca Swiss plate and mount it to your rifle and an Arca Swiss plate on your spotting scope and your binocular. And now your tripod not only uh, is able to be used for your secondary optics like your binoculars, but your tertiary optics like your spotting scope. And uh, also, uh, as a rest for your rifle in the case that, you know, you, you need a higher shooting platform to get over some, you know, uh, thinking, thinking to a friend I was talking to earlier this year, he was up hunting in, uh, in, um, Alaska and they, they had to shoot over a ton of like chest high brush. And so he actually used his tripod to get the rifle high enough when even, even though he carried a bipod on the rifle, the whole trip. Uh, he said it, it was completely useless in that scenario because they needed to get that rifle up, you know, about four and a half, five feet to see over the brush. So uh, when you can start to make a product do more than just one thing, that's where it becomes uh, a really good thing in, in reducing the amount of weight in your pack. Yeah, absolutely. You stole my next question. I was going to ask about uh, the tripod going from your binoculars or spotting scope to your rifle and then so um is that like an accessory you need to buy multiple one of those to to make that happen so all of the tripods are going to come with a standard arca swiss attachment plate that you would mount to a tripod uh or sorry to um your spotting scope right think a traditional uh spotting scope that has a quarter 20 threaded uh stud in the bottom um, your Arca plates that are included with the tripod are going to thread right into that. We also have a couple of new uh, binocular adapters. So you can then thread that same adapter plate into a binocular adapter to get 
your binos on a tripod. You know, tripod glassing with binos is becoming so popular, especially as people realize that um, whether it be the size and weight that you don't need to carry now in your pack or just long, long periods of glassing can be very taxing on your eyes when you look through a spotting scope. You know, a lot of people are going to that 15 or 18 power binocular to do the glassing to find the animal. And then maybe their group has one spotting scope and they take it out to get a closer look at the animal. I know uh, on an elk hunt last year, that's what we did. I mean, each of us had our own binoculars, but as a group, we only bought, brought one spotting scope with just to save weight. So, yeah. And then as far as adapting your rifle to a tripod, uh, you can get uh, the adapter that will either thread into like uh, your sling stud, your swivel stud, or you can get adapters that will, if you're using something that has like an M-lock uh, attachment point in the stock, um, you can get the ARCA adapters for that. And then if you really don't want to use any of those types of options, um, you can always get uh, an ARCA Swiss, like what would be called a hog saddle. It would be like a clamp, you know, think, think something like a bog pod has on top of it where you can set your rifle in, in it. Um, there's a lot of options on the market and uh, there's there's several of those available that would that would make it so that if you didn't want to do anything to your rifle, uh, you could always just set it in a saddle. Very cool. So what are the what are the minimum and maximum heights with that tripod? Now, so there's there's really a few different tripods, but I think the lowest one would be um, the the option would be that it would probably not be something you would stand and shoot off of. It's in that 40 some inches to, to the base. Um, and of course you can extend the top up, but as soon as you start extending that, that top stem up, you're going to start to lose stability um, as your kind of your center of gravity changes or the point, you know, your leverage on the tripod. But um, I know that like, for example, the, um, the radian carbon tripods, which are primarily designed as a very, very stable, either like, spotting or video platform or a shooting platform, those will get up uh, well over six feet, you know, in, in terms of like how high they would hold your gun. So you can really have, uh, there's, there's a ton of options. You could have anything you need in terms of uh, a tripod height. Um, you know, for example, the, the, the Carbon Summit 2 and the High Country 2 would be two that you could probably shoot off of. But if you're going to be dedicated shooting off of, you might want to look more towards that, um, that radian. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Great information. Okay. Uh, I'd like to dive a little bit into sort of a tips and tricks segment with you. Sure. So yeah. when, when we started, uh, you know, we kind of introduced yourself. It sounded like you're a pretty, pretty well-rounded shooter. So uh, let's just, uh, let's do some tips and tricks. I'd like you to give, you know, one good one for the, maybe the beginner getting into it and one for somebody that's maybe a little more advanced. Uh, let's start with three gun shooting. What do you got for us? Well, uh, in terms of the competitive shooting world, I think one thing to know is that, um, it's one of the only, I think one of the only sports in the world where you can go to a range and, uh, if we were comparing it to golf, you, you know, it's it's really one of the only sports where you would be okay walking up to Tiger Woods and asking what club he's going to use on on that hole, right? The community, uh, in terms of action shooting, whether it be USPSA or IDPA or P 
PRS or three gun, that community is very good about welcoming new people. So if your concern going into that would be, um, you know, being intimidated or not being good enough when you to, to start, you're going to be surrounded by people that are offering you to borrow their gun. And um, a lot of them are gun guys. So let's be honest, they're probably going to want to show you their gun anyways. Uh, so I think from that standpoint, as a new shooter going into competitive shooting, it's very easy to be overwhelmed by the options and by the amount of gear that it takes. Um, I would say start with a single gun sport. So if you're looking ultimately to shoot three gun, I would say start with something like USPSA or IDPA, where you're going to learn what the the commands are, for, you know, range commands from from the RO, from the shooting staff. Get into understanding what it's like to be on the clock, to have a timer that's you know recording you. There's a there's a lot of adrenaline, and things get very you can get very uh, very overwhelmed with some of the the different shooting sports because they are there are world class competitors that might be hanging out at you know your local range on a Tuesday night, but then, you know, a few times a year they compete on the national or world stage. So don't, uh, don't immediately think that you need to be at a crazy high level just to start uh, because everybody started somewhere. And then as far as gear goes, um, I think, you know, in, in terms of getting into the shooting sports, I would, I would, I'm always this kind of proponent of, of the buy once cry once thing. If you can't buy, you know, the most expensive gear that shouldn't hold you back from shooting the sport. But that being said, buy the, buy the nicest thing that you can afford because you'll ultimately look to probably change your gear. If you become more of an enthusiast, like for me, uh, I'm a terrible golfer. So, uh, I, I golf a couple times a year and, uh, but, but my, my clubs aren't anything to write home about They're They're the exact golf clubs that you would picture somebody who golfs twice a year is going to have. Uh, and I'm fine with that because that's the level that I'm going to golf at. But my rifle, my equipment for uh, shooting three gun, I, I run the stuff that I think is going to go bang every time I pull the trigger uh, and not have issues. Uh, and usually that looks like something that's uh, a little higher end. So uh, my my biggest point of advice would be buy the nicest gear that you can get uh, and, and definitely leverage people who have been doing the sport for a long time, because they're going to be really willing to share their input with you. Very cool. Okay. So how about a hunting situation? Like for, you know, you're just starting to get into, you know, some longer range stuff, some Western hunting. What are, what are some good glassing tips you have? Well, it might sound a little bit redundant, but I definitely think that, um, you know, get, get the best pair of binoculars you can get. Uh, you're going to use binoculars. And I, I was listening to uh, a guy named uh, Remy Warren, who's a really, really good resource in terms of Western hunting in that, in that world. And, and Remy said he looks through his binoculars a lot more than he looks with his naked eyes when he's on a hunt and, you know, terrain where they're looking for animals. We'll call it, you know, a spot and stock hunt like that. And I think that as you use binoculars more and more, you'll, you'll really realize that they're kind of your second set of eyes. And in a lot of cases, they might be your primary eyes. And so you'll want to get, get the best pair of binoculars that you can afford, uh, that, um, that are going to fit the bill for most of what you need to do. I think binoculars aside from a rifle scope, you know, if you're, if you're running a rifle, that doesn't have iron sights, you know, a rifle scope is kind of one of the first things you're going to need to get just to, just to, as a, as a, you know, 
cost of admission or price of admission, but binoculars are going to be one of those pieces of kit that I think you're going to use it a lot more than you think you do. And you're probably going to use it when you come back scouting for ducks. And you're probably going to use it when you sit in the nosebleed seats at a baseball game. Binoculars constantly get used. And it's one of those pieces of gear that really never leaves my truck or my backpack. So uh, when you're looking at a binocular, don't look at the numbers as being scary. The numbers all mean something. Uh, and, And you might think the bigger the numbers, the better. Uh, and a good example of that would be, you know, someone looking at, say, a 12 by 50 binocular versus a 10 by 42 binocular. Uh, you know, a 12 by 50 has its place. It definitely does. But if you're looking at those numbers, you know, 12 is the magnification versus on a 10 or a 10 power. Uh, anytime you go up into a 50 millimeter objective, you typically are going to gain an inch of length and, and uh, a few ounces of weight as well as a uh, overall diameter just being larger so a bigger binocular is going to be heavier and more magnification typically and it's also going to not have as wide of a field of view and it's not going to be as steady when you're holding it so someone would look at a binocular and if you just said you know what's the what's the best and someone went by the numbers and said well 12 by 50 that's that's the biggest so that must be the best and an 8 by 42 is considerably not only wider field of view but has a brighter image than a 12 by 50 if we were using them in the same environment so i would i would look at um, a product that you're going to use more often uh, and make your buying decision based on that so with binoculars kind of being one of those things i think don't don't go down that road of thinking that you know you're going on your first western hunt so you need a spotting scope and you need all these tools Really, you can you can get a lot of work done with uh, a good, modestly priced mid-range magnification rifle scope and and a really good pair of binoculars. And that's honestly when you start to get into more of that hunting and 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 you if you actually pay attention to the gear that you brought with versus the gear that you used, I can tell you that you shouldn't let a product that you are only going to use ten percent of the time affect the product that you would be using 90% of the time. So I buy that, buy your product and buy it based on what you're mainly going to be using it for. And if you have an exception here or there where you need higher magnification, you know, that would be something that would influence a decision to buy something like that down the road, but don't suffer in the, in the, the now, because you might need something once in a while down the road. Yeah, that was some great advice. And, you know, I'm with you 100% on that. Like now that I've started getting a little bit more into that long range stuff, like I got a pair of 8x42 binoculars and I wouldn't go with anything else. Absolutely love it. I love how they're compact. I can get them right on my chest. I got great field of vision. And, um, you know, I have I have the spotting scope in my pack too. Like, like you said, I, I use my binoculars 90% of the time. But then, you know, I, I identify an animal like, okay, is this one I want to pursue or not? Then, yep. then you're pulling out that spotting scope and then going after them from there. So very cool. Um, let's, let's move into like the, the home defense and everyday carry. What sort of tips and recommendations do you have for that kind of sector? Well, as far as, uh, as far as, you know, people's, I, I guess, decision to, you know, to self-defense, like I think, I think you you owe it to yourself and those around you to be prepared. Um, 
in case things go sideways. And so for me, I'm a, I'm very kind of single track mind in terms of whether it be shooting or competing or, you know, I, I have a hard time focusing on a lot of things at once. Things, you know, if there's a lot of stimuli around me, it can, can be overwhelming. And you're talking about now in a situation that, especially in our day and age now where everything is recorded, everything is scrutinized and everything is ultimately going to affect your future. Again, I'm not a legal expert or a legal consultant. So this is simply my opinion. I think we owe it to ourselves and those around us to, to put the time in. If we're going to have that responsibility and, and accept that responsibility of, of carrying or having a defense gun, um, you know, in terms of carrying, like we need to be able to focus on the situation around us when when we draw that gun to defend ourselves that's not the time we should be learning how the trigger press feels when we draw it under stress we need to train for that uh so get good training get training from reputable instructors and then in terms of the home defense thing um you know it might seem as simple as like well i just i keep a shotgun in the safe or i keep a shotgun behind the bed like uh one of my favorite products is, is a, a hornady rapid safe that allows me quick access to the gun that i'm going to defend my home with but it also stores it in a safe way so that i don't need to worry about my kids getting into it um right so i think in in whether it be competition or hunting or self-defense or home defense these are situations that can be very very stressful and and it, if we need to focus on in, in a hunting situation, let's say, if we need to focus on getting used to our reticle or focus on, you know, is my tripod or my bipod the right height? Those are actually the moments that we need to be focused on making a good shot, not on technique. So we need to train the technique to become subconscious so that we don't have to think about it in the moment. It's just like um, if you're if you're carrying a gun, how many times do you practice drawing from concealment? If you draw from a competition holster a ton of times and you count that as practice uh, of drawing a gun, well, guess what? You know, when your T-shirt's hanging in front of it, your appendix carry, that's a very different draw stroke and a very different gun presentation than if you're drawing from an open uh, zero retention holster on the side, right? So if you're going to take that upon yourself and take that responsibility to, to carry or to have a, a home defense gun at the ready, um, be willing to train with it and be willing to understand that in the moment that you need to use it, you're not going to be able to think about how to draw that gun. It, it needs to be second nature. It's much like in a hunting scenario, we would train and, and I grew up doing a lot of waterfowl hunting in Western Minnesota. So for, for me, um, it always kind of blew my mind that people would trap shoot with their trap loads. And then when they would go hunting, they would use a completely different load and a different choke and a different gun. But at least once a year, I would take out my hunting shotgun and I would shoot around to sporting clays with it just to get comfortable with how that gun shoots. Uh, because I think like I owe it to whatever I'm pointing at, and whatever I'm pulling the trigger at that um, I'm going to make a quick, clean, efficient kill on it. So I think that my, my main tip might not be as much of an equipment suggestion uh, for the self-defense world as much as it would be um, when that stressful moment comes. It's not going to be the time where you need to think about you know, drawing the gun, that all needs to be second nature. And that that's the moment where we need to focus on what's happening in the situation and our surroundings and stuff like that, how to react. Um, I'm also a big, big proponent of getting medical training because 
in, in this day and age, anything can happen. You know, it can be an accident. It can be, you know, self-inflicted. It can be, you know, someone, someone's inflicting harm on someone else. Uh, and medical training is something that I think we should all, if we are able to take, take some training on. Uh, so at the very least, you know, you, you can, you can aid in a situation that's happening, but, um, you're, you're much more likely to, to be needed, I guess, uh, to, to aid medically than you would be to, you know, um, to pull your gun out. So that's, that's just my opinion, but yeah, I would say there are some really great products that, um, that cater towards that world. Like, uh, I, for me, I, I, I carry a specific handgun and, and I, haven't changed that a bunch over the years. I think there's new stuff that comes out all the time and it can be flashy and fancy and have new features, but I'm going to use the thing that I train with the most, uh, the thing that I'm, uh, have the most amount of subconscious skill with. And so for me, that's a big thing, but also like, like one example of a product recommendation would be on a home defense gun. I actually use the spark solar red dot. Uh, it has a feature that um, a lot of people would call like a shake awake. So as soon as you, if you, if you turn that product off and then you move it, it has uh, basically a gyro inside that's going to detect movement and allow that product to turn on automatically. So for me, that's a really good one. I know that in the moment, if, you know, if something, whether it be an animal or somebody's breaking into my house, um, I don't have to turn on an optic, but I get all the benefits of a red dot, which, you know, fast target acquisition and, um, great battery life. But now I don't have to worry about another thing because I'm already worried about all the other stuff around me. Mm -hmm. Man, that was a great answer to that question. It's <laughs> like, Oh, so much to cover there, but you know, you stress just, I get a little long winded. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's what happens when you're super passionate about, about something, you know, but yeah, I mean, just the main things to, to really take into account are, you know, training, know exactly what you're, you're getting into and, and being ready for any situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, it's preparation for things, you know, it's something that the competition world has really taught me is that uh, under stressful situations, it's not the time to practice. That's, that's where you have to perform. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, so Vortex has a lot of different products, you know, products for from your price point all the way to your high-end stuff, you know, your your rifle scopes, your binoculars, your tripods, your rangefinders. So let's uh, let's dive into some some real-world situations whether it be hunting or in the range, and I'd like you to give your basically your product product recommendations. Which, yeah, what you'd absolutely. like to be using in those situations. So first one I like to talk about is got a guy that is, you know, fairly new into hunting, doesn't have uh, in quite the assortment, but just got drawn for like that first elk tag or that first caribou tag or something like that. What is your product recommendations for that? Well, if we were talking about uh, a rifle scope, I would say that, you know, you need to know where you're going. You need to know the terrain you're going to be in and, and potentially the distance of shot that you're going to take. Um, I think it's important to have something that will highlight the capabilities of your rifle. There's so many great rifles on the market right now. If we were talking about a first time elk tag, you know, there's options from Tika and Sako and, and um, you know, Browning and Bergara and Christensen. Proof, there's so many great options 
uh, Seekins, right? Like there's a ton of rifles on the market right now that will get that job done. And we need to pick an optic that's going to highlight the capabilities of that gun, all while not kind of um, pigeonholing us into a point where we now we picked a product that so specific that if you know let's say we picked a rifle scope that's too high of magnification for practical distances well let's let's look at a scope that i think um would would highlight a lot of those so our, our viper hs series of scopes is a, a really great series for for the midwest hunter all the way to the western hunter um, i would look at a two and a half to ten or a four to sixteen um you know when looking at magnification range i would say a lot of times people over magnify. That's that's one thing that's really, it's a trap that's easy to fall into is looking at magnification numbers as bigger is better. Well, bigger can be not better, bigger can be worse in a, in a big way. And so look at a magnification range, something like, uh, you know, a two to 10 or a three to 15 or a five to 25, you know, five to 25 would be the extreme high. But if you're in a Western situation, that could be something that you, you might need a little more magnification um, but I really like that three to 15 or four to 16 magnification range, something that gives us mid range magnification um, and, and, and more than enough to make a shot at, at a distance that I would say most people should be shooting at, uh, especially if getting long range practice is challenging, um, which finding a range can be challenging. I would just look at um, getting a magnification that suits that, you know, that mid range shot. Um, the Viper HS for us is a, a, a series of optics that works really, really well. Um, but even looking at, um, you know, like a, a Diamondback series of rifle scope, like a four to 12 is going to get most shooters uh, to that mid range distance without breaking the bank. But I think, especially if we look at uh, an optic like the Viper HS or um, one that in particular is really one of my favorites, it's probably not going to be the optic that most people would, buy their first time just because pricing is a little bit towards that maybe it's getting closer to the price of what they paid for the rifle but our razor hd lht it's a 3 to 15 it has a lot of features that would be very good for hunting whether it's in the midwest because you you know you look at magnification ranges and you've got a traditional rifle scope if you ask someone what a traditional rifle scope magnification would be you know the number three to nine by 40 would be something that a lot of people say so that LHT 3 to 15 gives us the capability of a 3 to 9 by having that, that low end magnification around 3. But then it also gets us up to 15 on the high end, uh, which is, and I'll just come out and say it, more than enough magnification for big game hunting at distances that most people are going to be capable of shooting big game to. So, so personally, right now, my favorite hunting scope, um, I've hunted uh, Wisconsin to Texas to um the Dakotas, um, Colorado, Wyoming, it's, it's a very capable optic. And I think if you had to pick one, it's probably the one I'd look at. Okay. And then, so what about, uh, your binocular range finder spotting scope? Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of times the binocular, like I said, gets kind of, um, you know, I think the magnification gets a little bit overthought or overemphasized. For me, if I'm picking something that's going to do a lot of things, I'm probably looking at a 10 power. And if I'm looking at size and weight preferences, I'm probably looking at a 10 by 42 binocular. Uh, I'm going to have that thing up to my head a lot of the day. 
And so I want something that has a nice wide field of view and very generous, uh, I, you know, a generous eye box and good eye relief as well as not having a lot of strain. So for me, um, stepping into that uh, high density glass is, is important, especially for looking long periods of time at longer distances. So I'd probably start a customer looking at either that Rage binocular or a Viper HD series of binocular. And of course we could go all the way into the Nomad uh, or the Razer HD as well. Um, for spotting scopes, I actually think that uh, there's a lot of features in our Viper series of spotting scopes. So we do have a Diamondback, a Viper and a Razor, but I think if you were looking at getting into your first hunt, these things can all add up. And if we're spending 1500 on a spotting scope and a thousand on a rifle scope, another six, 700 on binoculars, if I'm picking my battles and I'm, I'm spending my money where, it, you know, in terms of the things that are going to get used most, I'm probably going to buy a really good set of binoculars, a mid to high tier rifle scope, and probably at a spotting scope, I'm looking at do I even need a spotting scope for this hunt? But if I do, I'm going to probably step into that Viper line of spotters. For rangefinders, if we wanted to, like like we talked about before, kind of kill three birds with one stone, the the Fury uh, 5000 HD and then the Fury 5000 uh, AB with applied ballistics are both good options. And they actually start to, like we said before, uh, cover multiple uses. So now uh, not only do we not have to buy a rangefinder a handheld rangefinder but now we don't have to carry that in the field as well so that fury uh, ab or the fury hd are both going to give more than sufficient optical quality for glassing but also they have a rangefinder when you need them great answer and i actually inadvertently have have my setup basically about that way i, I spent a little little more money got a, a set of viper binoculars and then i've got like the diamondback spotting sculpt for that exact same reason like i know i'm using my binoculars 90 percent of the time but what's kind I, still, of interesting I still want with, that um, yeah or what's kind of interesting is with uh you know with a lot of optics if we looked at it we would see you know a higher qual a higher quantity of entry-level price point products in the rifle scopes uh, or binoculars sold than we would a high, than the higher quality like a razor line. So, um, but when people get to spotting scopes, a lot of times, you know, if you think about rifle scopes, you probably need one for most of the rifles that you're going to buy. So a rifle scope is something you're going to buy multiple of, and you're going to buy uh, over time probably more. Um, a spotting scope is one of those things where a lot of times people might only own one spotting scope. And so we see a lot of people trend upward on what spotting scopes they're buying. That being said, I think if you look at our Diamondback series of, of spotters, optical quality is really good for what you're for what you're spending. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback off that initial elk question and be a little selfish. I've got a I've got a Bergera B14 HMR. Put a put a Area 419 muzzle brake on it, and I want to be able to shoot like comfortably to let's say 800 yards in field situations. And if I have to, uh, if I have to beg my wife and, and maybe not buy a lot of other things for months, but I want like the scope to toss on that gun, what, sh what should I get? Well, uh, there, there's actually a lot of options and, and there starts to become, uh, uh, I guess like 
what golf clubs do you want to buy, right? Like how, how often are you going to be going to the range? Now, I would say if we were talking about the ultimate rifle scope to highlight that gun's capabilities, I'd probably look at our Razer HD uh, Generation 2 series of rifle scopes. They are in a 3 to 18 or a 4.5 to 27 magnification range. They've got a ton of elevation, windage travel. So if you were going to be going out and getting into that long-range competitive shooting game, not talking like F-class where it's all uh, you know prone um, and shooting paper targets, but if we were getting into a, a, you know, a league or going to the range with a bunch of people to shoot steel at ranges from you know, 400 to 1,000 or beyond, uh, that Gen 2 is probably going to highlight that gun's capabilities more than anything else in our line right now. now that being said, one, one kind of benefit of being a company that offers products at many different price points to cover the needs of a lot of shooters is we're able to allow that trickle-down effect to happen naturally. So we would develop a technology that you know, it takes time and money, but develop it and release it in a product like the Razer HD Gen 2. But then we would be able to trickle that down into, let's just look at our Strike Eagle 5 to 25 rifle scope. That rifle scope isn't going to have the same optical quality as a Razer Gen 2. Now, you're not, it's, it's not something you're going to shake a stick at. It's really great optical quality, especially for a $700, $800 scope. But when we look at the price, it's about a third of the Gen 2. So that trickle down, that I, like I was talking about, it allows features like our EBR7 reticle, uh, which is a very good competition reticle for that, you know, that steel precision shooting world. Um, it allows that reticle to now come into that rifle scope's price point uh, so that it allows that technology to be available to more customers. Um, we developed our um, a zero stop system that's what we call our rev stop now um, many many companies have different zero stop systems so we're not going to say that we're the only one that has zero stop systems but for us our rev stop zero system was developed in our razor hd lht the long long range hunting series of scope um, and and the lht is actually a very light optic as well as ter in terms of physical weight um, so by taking that that rev stop system um we actually bring that system from a, a 12 to 1400 rifle scope down into a 700 rifle scope and like i said allowing that trickle down of technology to naturally uh be brought into products at a more desirable price point for the customer who might be trying to uh, watch and you know how many times their their uh, Mastercard gets hits hit a month uh, in the long range department. Uh, so that optic is uh, feature packed, um, and while it does give up a little bit of optical quality to something like a Razor series of scope, um, the features are a lot of times what people are looking for. So uh, you know, glass quality really helps uh, resolve images at long distance. But if you were staying inside of that 800 to 1,000 yard range, that's where we would see you wouldn't really suffer very much. And, and again, sometimes features uh, outweigh quality. And so that, that, um, that same rifle setup that you had, if you were to buy uh, a Bergara in, in 22 long rifle as a trainer and you wanted to have your Gen 2 Razor on your 6.5 Creedmoor, but then you bought a 22 trainer, 
and you wanted to shoot with that same feel, that same type of optic, but you didn't want to spend as much money, that um, that Strike Eagle 5 to 25 would be a great option at a significantly lower price to get you consistency across the board on how your equipment operates. Awesome. I love that answer. I mean, it's, you gave the, you know, you gave the high end, but you know, if, if you can't afford that one or you need to be on a budget, you got some great other yeah. options, but uh, I'm going to choose to ignore all those, all those smaller options or those, those price point ones. And I'm just going to tell my wife, Ruben from Vortex, you know, like I told him my gun, he said, I have to get that gen two razor. So I'm, that's what I said. Right? I may or may not throw you under the bus on this one. <laughs> hey, you know, you do what you gotta do. <laughs> oh, perfect. Oh, that's great. Okay. Uh, next situation. Say you're, uh, you're kind of a deeper woods deer hunter. Say you're like, you know, you might sit on the edge of a, of a food plotter field. You could shoot out to like 300 yards or so, but, um, a lot of your stuff is like, deeper woods hunting where you need to like be able to pick apart certain areas. Um, what's, what sort of uh, system are you looking at there? So uh, I answered a little bit of that in the last question when I, when I kind of alluded to glass quality. So glass quality is going to help you resolve uh, images in at, at distance, really. It's, it's a big deal. Um, I would say that optical design is probably one a little bit more important in terms of resolving images and you know translating images in in lower light so it's one of those things where optical we uh i'm going to steal a term from ryan in our, our tech department um optical quality over optical quantity so i would look at someone who's shooting uh yeah i guess in the competition world we would look at magnification and we'd be like if you want to shoot 100 yards you you can do that with the naked eye. So one power, 200 yards, you know, you should probably have two power, 600 yards. You should probably have a six power. Um, but that gives you a little, it's a very rudimentary, very crude, uh, idea of how to pick how much magnification you need. But I would say uh, one magnification for every hundred yards of distance is kind of one of those things that I think a lot of people will kind of fall back to in terms of answering a question. So I would say if you were looking at shooting out to a few hundred yards, um, to identify a target, you know, you would need a minimum of three or four power. Uh, but that's not the point where you want to start to buy a five to 25 or a four and a half to 27. Um, because those scopes, if you need to make a shot at, you know, 50 feet, a very realistic distance for, uh, someone hunting in the Midwest or in a, in a thick timbered area, um, I grew up doing, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, a, de a typical deer drive with in a slug zone. Uh, you know, a, a four power scope was more magnification than I needed in more in most uh, cases or scenarios. So, I would say that uh, if I'm looking at that world where a 300 yard shot is possible, I'd like to have six, seven, eight magnification. But you could look at an optic like. Uh, the Diamondback three to nine or four to twelve, and it's going to suit you in in that scenario. You could also, if you wanted to get a little bit more optical quality, go up to like a Viper HS series of rifle scope, which is offered in a two and a half to ten by forty four. Um, but but ultimately, don't go with too much magnification where it's going to make looking at that dark timber as uh, a challenge because 
there's this kind of this relationship between magnification and objective diameter. So if we look at our rifle scope number, like a three to nine by 40, well, the first two numbers are separated by a hyphen three dash nine, and that's going to give us our magnification range or the zoom range of how, how much is that image magnified versus what I see with the naked eye. And then that the last number, which is separated from the other two by an X or a, a times sign, I guess, we read that as three to nine by 40. And that, that refers to the magnif or the, uh, the objective lens diameter in millimeters. And so the, the objective lens on a three to nine by 40 is 40 millimeters in diameter. And we have this relationship between magnification and our objective diameter that gives us a number that we call exit pupil. And exit pupil really ultimately determines on how much or how wide of a beam of light is coming through that optic after the image is translated. So to make things really simple, I like to go back to binoculars for this one. And I like to look at a 10 by 42. It's 10 power with a 42 millimeter objective. So we take 42 and we divide it by 10. Um, that gives us an exit pupil of 4.2. Now, the reason why that 4.2 number matters is because it's, I, I like to use the example, like when you open the door and your cat's outside at night and you let it in the house, its pupils are dilated really big. And it comes in and as its eyes uh, naturally adjust to its more ambient lighting, the pupil will contract so that it's not letting in too much light to damage your retina. And so when we look at that 4.2 number, that's actually a diameter of the light that's coming through the eyepiece or through your um, through your, eye, your, your ocular lens. Your pupils will naturally go in, in like bright daylight. They can be anywhere from two and a half to we'll call it four millimeters in diameter. So they're letting in that much light. When we go into a low light scenario, our pupils will dilate anywhere from call it three and a half to maybe seven if it gets really dark. And so we want to kind of match what our pupils are doing with how much light our optic is letting through. So in binoculars, remember how we kind of talked a little bit about, I like, I, I like a eight by 42 in a lot of cases over a 12 by 50. Um, that's because an eight by 42, if we take 42 and divide it by eight, that gives us an exit pupil of 5.25. Now, a 10 by 50 is really close to that. That's a 5. Uh, and a 12 by 50 is even lower. So when you look at a 10 by 42 and an 8 by 42, if we were to really break it down, you have a 4.2 versus a 5.25 exit pupil. And that's almost a 25% increase in how bright that optic is going to look looking through it. And we can do that same kind of mathematical equation with rifle scopes. So if I have a two and a half to 10 by 44. Well, if I run that optic all the way up on 10 power, now my exit pupil is 4.4. But if I run it back, uh, you know, on five power, well, now my exit pupil is up over eight. So it's letting in more light than my eye can even handle, which in low light scenarios, we don't want the optic to be the limiting factor. We want our eyes to be the limiting factor if possible. That's where a lot of times in, in a retail location, you might look through an optic and be like, well, this looks fine in this fluorescent lit building, but then we take it out in the field and all of a sudden 
we can't run it on anything over four or five power because it's not letting in enough light for us to translate that image. So I would say looking at an optic that has the ability to give you an exit pupil over five in low light. So something like a three to nine by 40, where you're just running it at lower magnification, but also being able to make that shot at distance. So a Diamondback three to nine, a Viper HS two and a half to 10, something like that. If you wanted to get in to spend a little bit more money, that Razor LHT 3 to 15 will do the same job. It'll just give you a little more capability on the high end if you want it. Um, but any of those optics, and, and we really shouldn't rule out things like uh, like a 1 to 8 Strike Eagle uh, or a, um, like if we, if we were to look at um, a 2 to 7 even in that magnification, because I think back to most of the shots that I've taken and most of the time I'm, I'm under 10 power. Mm -hmm. A lot of great information there. I told you I can get a little winded. (laughs) Yeah. You got after it on that one, but no, I appreciate it. Like it really dives into like developing a real understanding of your true need and finding the, finding the proper equipment for it. So. Yeah. I think that one of those things, it's one of those things where when you're picking out boots and once you understand what, 800 grams of thin slit versus 1200 grams is you can start to make that decision for yourself. And as a, as a customer and talking to customers, we want to give them the tools, right? We want to give them the tools to determine what, what the best optic is. Cause you might walk into a store and you might think, wow, there's, there's 700 options for me in rifle scopes. Well, if you know what the tools are and you know what numbers you're looking for, there might actually only be three options, but you're overwhelmed because of the number of optics that there are on the shelf. And you might say, well, there's, there's 150 optics on the shelf. I guess I have 150 options. Whereas you might only have three or four options when you break it down into the optic that fits your needs. And if we know what that hot, if we know what exit pupil means and we know like, do I want MOA or MRAD, we can start to, you know, get that customer even into a more tailored solution for what they're using. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's where, you know, our shields experts come into play, you know, like Absolutely. you have all these questions, you see all these products, you know, versus, you know, buying online, you can't, you don't have somebody to answer that, like head into a shield store and tell them exactly what you're doing and, and they'll be able to help you get into the perfect thing. So, yeah, all right. I can't, I can't agree with that enough. That is such a, such a true statement and what you get from walking into a store and talking to a knowledgeable person. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. So I've got two situations left for you. First one, I'm, I'm going turkey hunting with the shotgun and I'm shooting something like TSS that can, that can touch out to like 75 yards or so. What, to, what am I putting on that shotgun? I think, um, you know, most people are going to go towards a red dot site. I don't think that's the wrong answer. I think picking the correct red dot site is important. My opinion is that I would stray away from uh, sites that have an open top. So a micro red dot, something like you would mount to a pistol would not be my first choice, not because they're not capable, but because they have a big exposed objective lens that's a bright, shiny color. And the other thing is that the emitter uh, that produces the LED or the, uh, the light, the dot is exposed to the elements. So for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean towards optics red dot sites that have a closed top or a closed body. I would look at something like a strike fire two red green. That's an option for people that want to contrast. So think of shooting that big Tom Turkey, his head puffs up all red. 
well, now we have a red dot site that has the same color, uh, same color reticle as that turkey's head is, doesn't always allow us to know the exact position of the dot on the head, especially in a close range. Now that's, that's really like splitting hairs, but I like to suggest the strike fire too, because it has a green option in case you want your aiming point to contrast the target. That's one option. The other option would be something like um, the Crossfire Red Dot, which provides a great, great option at an awesome price point with 50,000 hour battery life um, in a hundred and under $180 product. So um, that's another really great option. My biggest thing with um, shooting uh, a red dot on a shotgun is patterning. And it's one of those things where I like to have the conversation with people that say, you know, TSS is six, seven, eight bucks a shot. How, you know, is it going to cost me $40 to sight in my shotgun? Well, my first tip is to sight in using trap loads, using a low cost load that's going to give you an idea of where your pattern is. Whatever distance you want to zero at, Get it so that your um, dot is zeroed with your trap loads. Now, instead of having to make really big adjustments with our TSS, we can actually make small adjustments, maybe even in one or two shots, instead of a box or two of shells trying to zero your red dot to your shotgun. The other thing I think that is a really, really important point is that pattern is very important, but knowing where your pattern is probably as important as no, as as uh, how big your pattern is. So BBs, unlike I think a lot of people's mind, including myself for a long time, BBs out of a shotgun defy gravity, they don't. Um, so zero at the distance you're going to zero at and then confirm at a further distance. That's really important because if you get that, that shot column out of a TSS or out of an apex or whatever you're shooting, um, that shot column is, is designed in such a way that it's going to produce you a very dense pattern at extended distances. So when people go and hear that, oh, I killed a turkey at 60 yards of TSS, just understand that when you're shooting it through an optic like a dot, you have a specific point in which your dot mounted to the top of your shotgun intersects your shot column. And so that's called our zero distance. That's what we mean when we zero an optic to a gun. But because of that, we're going to have points where that shot column doesn't intersect the dot. So that that a lot of times it looks like the shot is dropping away from where the dot's aiming. So if you're going to be that that hunter that wants to take that shot at that that outer edge capability of that round, then at least go and confirm because you might find that you have a little more drop than you think you do at 60 or 70 yards. Great answer. And yeah, that was a super useful tip about sighting in your your optic when you're doing TSS because nobody wants to shoot no. like two boxes of those shells just to sight your gun in. So Yeah, I mean, that. aside from the cost, they, they, they're not friendly to the shoulder. Oh yeah, absolutely. And now you officially have me jacked to go out turkey hunting again. So Fantastic. thank you for that. <laughs> All right, last one. So um, say you just bought just bought an MSR and you, you just want to do a bunch of plinking and probably take it out coyote hunting every once in a while. What are you going to throw on that? All right. So we've selected an MSR. So we've decided or made a decision that a bolt action rifle wasn't going to fit our needs for some reason. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So why we made the choice we made. So 
Some of the things that I like to talk about about MSRs is that they're very, very customizable to the shooter. You can put an adjustable stock on it. You can put a different trigger in it. You can have the optic mounted at different heights, give it so to, to cater towards the shooter's you know facial structure. You can put a stock on it with an adjustable uh, height of comb. Uh, so we can have all these adjustments. And the other thing that we get with an MSR is pretty rapid follow-up shots, the ability to not have to manually reload the gun. So that's one of the things that I think plays into my answer. And my answer would be that I think while we could put a red dot on it and really capture the capabilities of the gun for close range, fast target acquisition, quick target transitions, or we could highlight the accuracy of the platform, which is something that's very well known is ARs can be very, uh, very accurate. Um, and then we could put a higher magnification scope on it to capture that. Um, I think actually there's a, a subset of rifle scopes or optics that bring out more of the capabilities of the MSR platform than any other optic. And I think that's a low power variable optic. I think the one to four, one to six, one to eight, uh, we now have a one to 10. The one to something optics with a purpose built reticle option for the that platform in a lot of cases we're talking about two two three or five five six um you know looking at an optic that you know if i had to pick one uh i would probably say a one to six is going to give you the most options in terms of options at different price points uh options for different quality and different reticle features different illumination characteristics and, and one to six optics are not big, they're not bulky. But I think if I was to pick one, I would probably pick a one to six in something um, like either a Strike Eagle, a Viper PST one to six, or a Razor HD Gen 2 one to six. They, that is gonna give you on one power, the speed of shooting with a red dot. It's gonna give you a very heads up feel where you can shoot, you know, you can shoot that, that gun standing upright and having quick target transitions and fast target acquisition, because a lot of them are going to have a single illuminated red point in your reticle. So that'll give you that same feel as shooting a red dot. Uh, and it'll give you about 80% to 85% of the capability and speed of a red dot. Now we can have magnification up to that anywhere from two to six range on that same scope. And we can have, uh, a very, very effective platform out to six or 700 yards. Of course, we all mess around at the range once in a while. And, you know, I've got some hits uh, beyond a thousand on six power, which is, is probably a million people that have done it. Um, but it gives us a really, really solid platform out to around 600 yards on a common size, common barrel length MSR. So I'm going to go with a low power variable uh, in, a, in a good mount, uh, whether it be uh, a Vortex, a Loophole, the Warn. Um, there's a lot of good mounts on the market. So for me, a low power variable, one to six, one to eight or one to 10 would be a good option too. But usually we start to start to climb up in price as we go up in magnification. So for me, that's, that's my answer. Love it. Okay. Well, you've, you've given us so much information, like so much more than I even anticipated when I started planning <laughs> well, for good. this podcast, but I'd like to end it here with a, with a little bit of entertainment. So I'd like to hear your all time favorite hunting story. Oh man. Um, you know, it would have to be, 
it would have to be a cross between um, a couple of different ones, but probably like my most special hunting story was um, I, I got to hunt with my dad. He, he got cancer a few years ago and um, I got to spend a really, really special uh, weekend in the, in the blind with my dad after he had gone through all of his procedures and, and stuff like that. And uh, I got to shoot a really, really nice buck um, with my dad and he's all recovered. And so everything's good. Um, but that was one of those moments where we didn't quite know where things were going. So for me, um, that's something that's always going to come to mind. And, um, you know, in terms of complete, uh, where things go off the rails, uh, would have to be, um, you know, that, that waterfowl hunt where it, it's, it rains and the truck gets stuck and then you break an axle on the trailer and you lose decoys in the mud and stuff like that. So for me, I think it's a cross between two very, very vivid moments in my mind. One of them had a little more comedy and, and one of them had a little more uh, sentimental value. So, um, but th those are probably where it's at. And uh, I'm, I'm raising a, a springer right now. Uh, we uh, raised labs forever. And so I kind of went outside of what, what I'm used to doing and got a springer. And so now I'm getting back into upland bird hunting a little bit. So for me, uh, getting out and seeing the dog uh, get on birds and have success is, um, for me, is equally as important uh, as as how many birds you shoot. So, but um, yeah, I mean, looking to the future, I've got uh, three beautiful kids and they're, they're starting to get to the age where they know when dad goes hunting and they know that they want to go hunting with dad when, when that time is here for them. So um, really, really excited to get my kids into the same lifestyle and they're already growing up around it. Um, but to get them to be passionate about it, because I think, I think what it all boils down to is the, the things that you remember and the things that are important to you are the things that you have passion for. And, and that's really, again, what we want to give our customers is we want to make our customers the hero in their own story and, and allow them to focus on their passions and not focus on gear that doesn't work or is the wrong thing for what they're doing. So for, for me, I think I, I just have a, an immense amount of fun out in the field and I, it, it gives me an insight into what maybe how to make a product better or how to come back with suggestions to make a product better for our customers just ultimately have that even better experience out in the field chasing their passion very cool and it sounds like uh your favorite hunting story is still yet to come then since you got them little ones yep great so all right ruben well thank you so much for your time and in sharing all that knowledge uh you know you got me excited to get out in the field and do some shooting again Oh, good. Hey, it's uh, it's good to hear because I think uh, I think that's the place where where ultimately most most memories are made. Absolutely. Thanks again, and take care. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. You just heard our conversation with Ruben Alexson of Vortex Optics. He offered an incredible amount of information. But if you still have any questions, feel free to ask them in the comments below. Reach out to us in messages on Facebook or Instagram on Shields Outdoors, or feel free to stop by one of our local stores and ask an expert in the optics department. We'll be sure to fit you with anything you need for your application or situation. And with that, 
We want to thank you all for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.